Hello, and welcome back to the Since You Reformed podcast for this week's episode. Pastor Zach here with you. And uh, today I'd like to speak about something that is oftentimes not on the radar of Christians, and that is the matter of church officers. You see, we have in our con- in our context um, an election coming up for a another deacon to be added to our church council. And uh, I've been mindful that this is something that uh, many people are just in the dark about. How does this work? Why is it important to have an election of a, a deacon from within the congregation? How does that involve the officers of the church that are currently serving and so forth? So I figured this might be a good uh, time to address it, and it might be interesting to you. Uh, furthermore, you might uh, have this in your own context. I know that many of our uh, churches in our federation, our denomination, have elections at the end of a calendar year in order that uh, the men who are elected would then be appointed to office in the on the first or second Sunday of the new year in order to begin a term of service. And so this can be also a time when this is on people's minds. But I do expect that it's probably the case that the nuances of how the Bible teaches a um, that an officer is appointed and installed is probably a mystery to many of our uh, listeners. But I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Uh, first, I think it should be just noted and reminded, and there'll be an, an episode in the uh, show notes page regarding this, but the Bible teaches that there ought to be three offices in the uh, church under the new covenant. Uh, those offices are minister, elder, and deacon. Uh, Some might prefer to speak about teaching elders and ruling elders alongside deacons, and still others might prefer the language of bishop, presbyter, and deacon. But regardless, if we're painting with a broad brush, the history of the church has recognized three offices coming forth out of the teaching of Holy Scripture. But what is often ignored here, and this is the subject of our consideration today, is the manner by which those officers are selected. A congregation might just be informed one day, hey, these are your elders, or this is the board of elders to this church. But the congregation never selected them, had any real say in the matter. On the other hand, there are other contexts where such decisions rest with a regional bishop. And again, They're just appointed without the involvement of the congregation. In other words, the mechanism of selection is oftentimes outside the men and the women who gather Lord's Day after Lord's Day and are told, these are your leaders, you should submit to them and to their governance of this church. Still, others might operate within a context where there's not a bishop outside the church making such appointments, But the elders, maybe the deacons within the church already, make those appointments unilaterally and then inform the congregation of that at a later point. On the opposite extreme, we can note that there are contexts in which the congregation makes decisions and appointments all by themselves. But my contention for you today is that the Bible seems to suggest a dynamic where officers and the congregation work together. There's both oversight and leadership from current officers in that church, but there's also real participation by the congregation that will then be governed by those new officers that are elected. 
This prevents a form of government where the congregation has no say, and it prevents a form of government where the rulers are being ruled by the congregation. So let's begin by considering a few texts of Scripture. First, I want to turn to Acts chapter 6, and verses 1 through 6 is an important uh, text for us, because that is where the diaconal office is being first established. There was a bit of a controversy in terms of uh, some food distribution between uh, the Hellenists and the Hebrew uh, widows. And so, given the context of a controversy, the twelve apostles summoned, this is Acts 6 verse 2, the full number of the disciples. The, the church at the time was confined to Jerusalem in terms of the New Covenant's people. And so the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples together and commanded them to pick out from among them seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, the apostles said. And then the congregation was pleased by this, and they chose seven men, and they set those before the apostles, verse 6, and they prayed, the apostles prayed, and laid their hands on them. And so what you see here very clearly is leadership being given by the apostles. They're establishing a, an orderly plan of election. They're involving the congregation in that elective plan. And they're overseeing it and then laying hands and praying for those men who were appointed and they're being set apart to the holy labors of special office, in this case, deacons. While Acts 6 is very clear about the importance of the involvement of a congregation, and it's suggestive about the involvement of the officers, we see the very, very clearly the involvement of the officers when we begin to turn to the pastoral epistles, especially Titus 1 and then 1 Timothy chapter 3. In Titus 1, we hear these words from Paul, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. In other words, he's writing his epistle, his letter, to Titus, a minister, a preacher. And Paul says this to him in verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. And the question is, what kind of order? It's this, Appoint elders in every town as I directed you, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, and so forth. And so Titus there is being commanded to appoint elders, and to appoint only such men as fit a moral uh, criteria and also have an ability to teach and to instruct in terms of Christian scripture. Now, that's important for us in this consideration because that means that Titus would not be forced to appoint somebody whom he thought did not align with those characteristics that the congregation could not veto Titus and force him to lay hands because of the ultimate authority of a congregation. No, Titus is given a charge as a minister to do only such things. But if we read this in context with Acts chapter 6, we should also note that he would then be required to involve the congregation in these matters, even if he is overseeing it 
and has the, the buck stops with him. We see something similar as well with Paul's first letter to Timothy. Paul writes there, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, the things that Paul had been writing were varied, but some of the things that he had been writing that were so important for proper behavior in the household of God were about the appointment of elders and of deacons. And indeed, in that section, he gives some very similar instructions which he gave um, Titus in the verses that we just read. So Timothy also was being charged to make sure that he was appointing men and only such men as fit the criteria laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the verses preceding the ones that I just read. Once again, the existing church officers have a very important role to play in obedience to Holy Scripture. Now, in our context, we confess a series of documents to summarize the teaching of Holy Scripture. One of those is called the Belgic Confession. In Article 31 of the Belgic Confession, it reads this, We believe that ministers of the Word of God, elders, and deacons ought to be chosen to their offices by a legitimate election of the church, this is the congregation, with prayer in the name of the Lord, and in good order, as the word of God teaches. And so again, this is something where the congregation is involved. These men are then appointed in accord with the, con the will of the congregation. But as you can read in the surrounding context, the church is ultimately governed by, governed by ministers, elders, and deacons. So they also play an important role in this task. In conclusion, I'd like to encourage you to consider the benefits of this particular way of going about things, which I believe is a biblical way of doing it. And there might be some variation that might happen from congregation to congregation. But once again, my point here is that the current officers and the congregation should together play a role in uh, putting men into special office of minister, elder, or deacon. So consider the benefits here. First, this ensures that the congregation is on board with those who exercise authority in their midst. If you do not have a congregation on board, it's actually much harder for an officer to conduct themselves well and to govern well and to lead well. Somebody feels foisted upon a congregation, it's harder for them to submit in joy to the leaders that Christ has placed over them. Furthermore, it gives confidence to the congregation that they're not, that the, um, that one or two Christians are not alone in their affirmation of a man to a special office, but rather they recognize after a lawful election that the congregation as a whole consents to it. And so even those who might not have supported the man from the very beginning then come to recognize, oh, they were in the minority. Actually, this is the best thing. This is the will of God. And we discover that through the multitude of counselors. In this case, the congregation being overseen by the current officers. Another benefit of this approach is that it ensures that ministers and elders are able to fulfill the injunction given to Titus and Timothy to ensure that elders and deacons are both morally and also doctrinally sound. They need to oversee things, and that includes oversight of an election, and to ensure that men who are put into special office do actually fulfill the criteria laid out in Holy Scripture. 
one of the things that some congregants might not be mindful of is the fact that the pastors and elders oftentimes have a much more in-depth knowledge of people in the congregation than the congregation knows uh, um, popularly. And so in a, counseling, in a counseling context, it might be the case where something is learned about a man that would disqualify him. But that should not be shared uh, publicly with the whole congregation to embarrass him and to say, this man is disqualified. But that can happen quietly and privately within the context of an elder meeting where the elders are then able to sift out men who might not be in fulfillment of the criteria laid out in scripture and to say, help them to save their reputation and to not allow things to go uh, further um, than they need to go. The, uh, a man can appear to be a great candidate for office to a congregation, in other words, but that might not actually be accurate in real life. Finally, in terms of benefits of this approach, this ensures that the congregation and the current church officers work together. Such unity is so incredibly valuable. Unity is the harmony that we find in the new creation. It is the fruit of the reconciliation that Christ's work um, brings about. This sense of unity between officers and congregation, it's a work of love that exists from one to the other. An officer should not want to put someone forward that the congregation does not want to lead them. And a congregation should be trusting in their current officers that they would bring forth only men who fit such criterion, and then they'd be able to, with a free conscience, cast a vote in electing those men to office. Such a work between officers and congregation then reflects the love that Christ has for his church and the church has for Christ, the work of unity that exists between one and the other. So I hope that this might be an encouragement for you if you in your church are conducting officer elections at this time, or if you're trying to think more biblically about how such elections might be conducted. I hope that this encourages you in those paths of biblical teaching and in the paths of godliness. This has been um, this week's episode of the uh, Cincy Reformed Podcast. Uh, Pastor Zach with you uh, this week. We are sponsored by Westside Reformed Church, and we'd love for you to check us out if you're in the area. If you'd like any more um, input from us, then check out the other episodes at cincyreformed.org. Thanks much. Bye-bye.